You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We are continuing our series of sex, etc. And uh, just wonder whether some of you are thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this series? Talking about sex and marriage and singleness. It's awkward. I don't like it. Well, well done for coming, if that's how you feel. Um, but I just thought it would be good to talk about three uh, simple reasons. One is that they are topics that are very central to our hearts, very really important subjects to start with, and they're very heart-bound subjects, and God is jealous for our hearts. So it's very important that these are the sorts of things we bring to submit to God and ask him for his wisdom. Second one is that as a society, we are confused and in trouble about these subjects of sex, marriage, singleness, gender roles, things like that. Uh, We are confused as a society, so it's good to come to God and ask again for wisdom in that. And thirdly, as a community, as a family here, it's just good to support each other, be aware of what each other are going through and speak into that and love each other in support. So that's really some of the reasons why we're doing this series. And today I'm looking at the meaning of marriage. Okay, meaning of marriage. And uh, I understand that there are lots of different uh, groups of people here. Some of you may have been married in the past and you're not anymore. Uh, Some of you are married at the moment in different phases of marriage. Some of you uh, may be engaged or going to be married soon. Some of you are nowhere near married yet but hope to be married one day. And uh, I would say I think that there is truth in here and help in here for all of us because we're going to the Bible for a start. That's the wisdom of God. We're going to talk about Jesus. That's always a good thing, always a helpful thing. And uh, we live in community. So actually, even if uh, it's not directly applicable to you about marriage, then actually you can support others in their marriage. Also, marriage is a relationship. And it's uh, lots of stuff we're going to say is just about love and about relationships, and it's specifically for marriage, but you can apply it to other relationships. And so I think that it will be uh, serving all of us. I was praying and asking God last night, what do you want to say? And I just felt God had, uh, I just felt God's heart of compassion for us as a church. I just felt God was saying, people are hurting, people are in need of grace, mercy, and love. Talk to them about Jesus. So I felt that's what God's saying. I think it's never a bad thing to talk about Jesus, as I said. And uh, God's heart, even we've heard it this morning in the worship time, is so for us. He's so gracious and kind and wants to come in and rescue. He wants to come in and support and come in and help us. So God really has a heart for us as a family this morning. And if you're a guest, a visitor with us, he's got a heart for you. He knows your situation and he wants to support you in it. We're going to be looking at a passage in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5. Uh, So if you just turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. If you're not familiar with your Bible, it's very near the the back. You can find in your table of contents the page number. Okay, so I'm going to start at verse 18. And it starts with this. It's also going to be on the screen. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives 
Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis there. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I'm just going to pray before we start here. Father, we just thank you for your institution of marriage, Lord, that you created. Thank you for your heart for us this morning. Thank you that in you we find hope, in you we find rest, in you we find answers. I pray you'd help us to submit ourselves willfully to your wisdom this morning, even where it might sting a little bit, that we'd say, I want to obey Jesus. I know that's the best for me. I pray soften our hearts, give us ears to hear, and give us a determination to trust and obey you, put it into action. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've got four points I want to look at today. One is marriage is misunderstood. Two, marriage is God's idea. Three, marriage is meant to reflect God's love for us in Jesus. And four, marriage is fulfilled through worshipping Jesus. Paul Tripp has written this book called What Did You Expect? I'd recommend it to people who are married or getting married. Um, it's a very helpful book. And he, he says in this book that he's found it frustrating often when going through marriage preparation with young couples uh, because of the unrealistic expectations that they have. He says he thinks more couples enter marriage with unrealistic expectations than enter marriage with realistic expectations. We know from our own experience, all of us would have varying uh, examples of marriage that we would have grown up in. We may have grown up in a single parent household. We may have grown up in a, a fighting parent household. We may have grown up in an abusive parent household. Or we may have grown up in a loving, uh, secure family household where the marriage was a, was a healthy example to us. But even with the healthy example, you could enter marriage thinking it's going to be what I saw, it's just going to be like that. It's going to be easy. And then the first argument you have, you think, what? This isn't right. And so any example of marriage we have can give us a skewed uh, view. It can give us wrong expectations. And especially if we look to um, movies and TV programs and celebrity lifestyle, we then we have very confusing examples of what marriage is. Tim Keller begins his book that he's written called uh, The Meaning of Marriage like this. He says, I'm tired of listening to sentimental talks on marriage at weddings, in church, and in Sunday school. Much of what I've heard on the subject has as much depth as a Hallmark card. While marriage is many things, it is anything but sentimental. Marriage is glorious but hard. It's a burning joy and strength, and yet it's also blood, sweat, and tears humbling defeats and exhausting victories. Marriage is hard work. Marriage is fantastic, but it's hard work. On the one end of the spectrum, people are naively entering marriage. But on the other end of the spectrum, people are cynically just giving up on marriage, thinking it just doesn't work. They've got very negative views towards it. 
The reasons for that are that we, we, we've forgotten what marriage is for, or not, maybe not forgotten, maybe we just don't know what marriage is for. You know what our society prizes more than anything these days? Freedom. We think, actually, I live for autonomy. I live for freedom, that I can do whatever I want. That's what we think freedom is as well, which is also a wrong perception of freedom. We think, I live to do whatever I want, and the people who get in the way of that aren't people I want to pursue. I want people who don't challenge me so that I can pursue whatever I want to do. That is a, uh, a terrifying position to be in, to think that we are going to grow as a, a healthy society. We think that marriage is about us, about our self-fulfillment, self-actualization. Therefore, looking for a partner becomes a bit of a transaction. We think, am I going to get back what I put in? Am I going to get back the effort that I put in? If I'm not, then forget it. And... Uh, that could be in a number of different ways. We could think about looks. We could think, is this person as good looking or slightly better looking than me? Great, I'm in. It could be uh, wealth. It could be even things like sense of humor or style or, or especially effort, like I said just now. Are they willing to put in effort like I am? But if it's very selfish, and if we follow it to its logical conclusion, it actually looks like this. I want somebody who is sexy, somebody who is intellectually stimulating, somebody who uh, maybe is wealthy, somebody who has a great sense of humor, and I like their style, and somebody who is very low maintenance. Basically, uh, they don't challenge me in any way. So I want someone who's perfect. It's not a good start, is it? Very selfish. It's going to fall to pieces very early on, and it's the way that lots of people have fallen into uh, this perception at the moment in society. Today we've been taught that we fall into love passively, almost like you're walking down the road and you fall down a hole. You know, you just, oh, I wasn't looking, I've fallen in love. Like passively. And, and unfortunately, the other side of that is that we can fall out of love just as easily. We think it's a passive thing and we think we don't need to take as much responsibility because love is an emotion. It comes and goes and uh, therefore uh, I don't have as much responsibility as, uh, as I as Actually, we are given this responsibility. Our society has built this house of, on sand. And the house of marriage or love is really sentiment. It's fun. It's affection. And those things are great. But they're thin and they don't stand the tests that we have. They, don't, they rise and fall too easily. What was fun yesterday can be a bore today. What was uh, giving me enough affection yesterday cannot be giving me enough today. And those aren't strong enough things to build on. C.S. Lewis was so right when he said this, it seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Our society has fallen into this trap where we want something now. We want trinkets, shiny things, things that will give us satisfaction now. And God's saying that is like a child who wants, uh, is happy with a mud pie when I'm offering you a day at the beach or a holiday at the beach, a lifetime at the beach. Um, we can be too easily pleased. I want to talk about what marriage is according to the Bible. Marriage is God's idea. It's number two. 
The Bible begins with marriage, Adam and Eve. The climax of creation is, is God brings man and woman together in marriage. And Adam says, at last. It's a great beginning to marriage. At last. And, uh, and, the, and uh, the, the Bible also finishes with a wedding. Christ and the church. And that's really what marriage is supposed to reflect. The way marriage is depicted in the Bible, it's clear there's no more important relationship between humans that God has created. It's God's institution. If we're to have wisdom and success in it, we really need to go to the author and creator to understand it. It's a bit like an intricate machine. Some machines are so simple that actually you can pick it up just by looking at it and think, I know what this is for, I know how it works. But intricate machines aren't like that, and marriage is certainly not a simple machine. An intricate machine, you could watch someone else use it, or you could guess and you'd have varying results. But if you really want to know things like this, it's purpose. The power that it needs to work well. The, the structure of it. The priorities. Even to know what, what is the definition of success with this thing. Tom was saying last week that his son got a drum for his first birthday. And uh, he needed to tell him what to do with it. Because he could think, well, I'll just kick it like a football. Or I'll throw it like a frisbee. Uh, no, we need to teach you what it is and what its purpose is. And then you'll know what the definition of success even is. And we've forgotten what that is in marriage. We need to go to the one who created it to find out what is success in this and how do I work towards that. That's how we can know that biblical wisdom isn't outdated, actually. Because we have to be quite humble and come to the one who holds all wisdom. The author and creator, not just of uh, marriage, but of life. And also... As a side point, we know that Paul's teaching here is not outdated. Some people will say, well, this is 2,000-year-old stuff. Marriage has moved on, or marriage has died. Well, actually, and they would say that he's just speaking to his culture and is reflecting how they had it then. Actually, Paul is challenging his culture here in this Ephesians passage. He's saying, look, we we are doing whatever we want. This is how marriage should look. And it's the same as what what we look like today in terms of people just do what they want. And and actually, marriage is supposed to reflect Christ and the church and uh, reflect his example to us, and it's supposed to be inhabited by Christ. So marriage is hard, as we just read, and I really hope that (laughs) that isn't a downer. I hope that some of you uh, who, well, the married couples here think, good, someone said it. It's hard. And actually that can say, you know, you think, good, it's not just us. I've been married for eight years. We've been through some really tough times. It's been extremely difficult at times. And uh, one of the reasons is definitely because we came into marriage with the wrong expectations, as I've already said. We came in with unrealistic expectations. We, uh, um, we misunderstand still what marriage is for. We still often go, it's a, I'm not getting what I want. And that will cause friction. That, that's the wrong understanding. And so we need to challenge ourselves on that. Um, And the other thing is, this is why I've got my little prop here. Um, The third reason I think we struggle in our marriage is this. Toothpaste. No, this is just an illustration. Why? This is a toothpaste uh, tube. When I squeezed it, toothpaste came out. Why did toothpaste come out? One, because I squeezed it. Two, toothpaste came out because toothpaste is what was in there. And uh, marriage is a pressured environment where we get squeezed and what's inside us comes out. And what's inside us, the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's inside us, even as mature Christians, is remnants of sin and uh, ugliness. And it will come out in pressured situations where we're rubbing up against somebody else. And that, 
That can be difficult in marriage. But that's why we need to... I mean, uh, we, my wife and I had this conversation, um, and uh, this is a while ago, and it was... Uh, I think one of us had let the other one down. I've got to be careful what I say here. And uh, <laughs> she laughed. Okay, I'm, I'm free to go. Um, uh, and um, it, I think the comment was, um, you, you, you know, we said these vows, and you're, you're not living up to these vows. And, uh, and actually... what. <laughs> I'm being very vulnerable here. What I, what, I, what I said back was, I don't want us, our, our marriage to be based on our vows. I want our marriage to be based on grace. Because actually, we're never going to live up to our vows every day. Um, how many of you know that as well? At the time you say them, they're, they're very meaningful. And they are very meaningful all the way through. You want, that's what you're pursuing, your vows. You, you mean them. But you're going to mess up with them. And uh, I want to say, we want to be a family of grace. We want to be a, a, a relationship of grace. That's Jesus' example to us. Not that he would ever let us down, but we let him down, and he's full of forgiveness to us. But we are sinful people, and as Christians, we know that ultimately sin doesn't hold us, but we're still battling with the remnants of our old identities. Some of you have made this, uh, made this statement yourself or heard this statement, he's not the man I married, or she's just not the woman I married anymore. Or I'm starting to think we're just not very compatible. Now, I know both, both of those things have truth in them. Okay, so we get married, and as I said, we get squeezed, and th- th- some, some stuff comes, comes out that maybe didn't come out in our courtship or our, our dating or whatever you call it before you get married. Some, we, we present the best side of ourselves, and often even if we let some you know, honest sides of ourselves come out, the other person doesn't want to see it because they only want to see the good stuff. So I'll just, in the excitement and the happiness, I'll just pretend there's nothing negative here and we'll go forward. And then you get married and then you're very intimate and you're very pushed together and you kind of see lots of ugliness come out sometimes and, and you think, that's not the person I married. Well, one, it, it is the person you married. Um, that was always there. But two, uh, your perception, yeah, it changes. And marriage changes you. And um, I think it's Tim Keller who says, my wife has had to learn how to um, love five different husbands. Because he's saying, over our long marriage, I've changed again and again and again. And she's had to love me through that. That's a helpful thing to be aware of. We, uh, we, don't, um, we don't want to be unrealistic with the fact that actually there will be change and there will be difference and it won't always be elation in that sense but the other thing i said there was i just don't think we're compatible at the moment or anymore and you give up hope and you think we're not compatible well that what i said with the toothpaste is is actually there's sin inside us no broken people no people with sin in them are going to be totally compatible because sin is actually ugly sin will cause friction so it's just an unrealistic expectation that you're going to be totally compatible but don't worry, there's hope coming. I've said quite a lot of uh, heavy things, but there's so much hope for us in Jesus and in the wisdom of God. Marriage is beautiful. Okay, let me just <laughs> remind us of that. Marriage is beautiful, but it is real and it is tough. Looking at our passage today that we read through, we have a great hope in our reverence for Christ, in our submitting to each other and submitting to God. Paul shows us that the marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ. That's what it's supposed to do. To refine our characters, to create stable human community for birth 
and nurture of children, and to do all this by bringing the sexes into an enduring whole life union. So number three, marriage is meant to reflect God's love for us in Jesus. The Bible talks about um, people as the bride of Christ. His people are his bride that he purchased, that he won, that he rescued. We are his body. And our passage says that if you love your body, you love yourself. We should care for each other like we care for our own bodies. Christ also cleansed us by the washing of water through the word. And we are called to help each other in our growth to Christian maturity in marriage. Christ is our example. And my fourth point in a minute, or not there yet, will be Christ is our saviour. He's our answer as well. But he's our example first. It totally pushes against, Christ's example totally pushes against what I said earlier is our modern mindset. We have understood love as being this passive emotion, like I said just now, uh, where we weigh up how much can I be bothered to give or show depending on how much I'm being shown. Jesus is nothing like that. Jesus, the definition of love in the Bible is not really much linked to sentiment. It's much more to do with commitment. The Bible, do you understand that? The Bible's definition of love is much more to do with commitment. The Bible talks about love in terms of action. It's true to say love is a choice first and a feeling second. In our culture, we think love is this passive emotion, this feeling. Well, I think actually the Bible says love is much more of a choice. A choice first and your feelings will come into line with that choice. Jesus' example to us is love in action. He chose the cross. In the garden the night before, in Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, take it from me. Take this cup from me. Talking about the next day when he was going to be crucified. He wanted to know, is there any other way? I don't want to do this. And yet he chose to do it. That's how his love is displayed for us. Not emotionally you know, I'm getting what I want from these people and it's a pretty good uh, exchange and so I'll, I'll go into it. He, he wasn't going in thinking, I can't wait to do this. His emotions and his feelings were, I don't want to do this. But his choice was, I will do this. The Bible says he set his face like flint towards the cross. Is that a challenge to us in our relationships? I'm going to choose to love this person over and over and over again and my feelings will come in to line with it. If you think about it, I'm sure lots of your friends, or maybe one or two, you can think of, actually, when I first met that person, I didn't really like them very much. Now they're one of my closest friends. I'm sure some of us have got that experience. Because the more you give yourself to people, you invest in people, your feelings come in, actually, you really love them and appreciate them. Jesus' love is selfless. He's self-sacrificial. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, he died for us. That is total commitment. In terms of marriage, it means not saying, I will commit to you when you lose weight. Or I'll commit to you when you cook better. Or I'll commit to you when you stop being angry. I'll commit to you when you stop those hobbies. I'll commit to you when you're better at sex. I'll commit to you when you stop making me look bad, when you stop making me feel bad, or you stop slowing me down, or I'll commit to you when you're a better husband or a better wife. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus says, 
I commit to you when all of those things are wrong. I commit to you because I love you. That's what a definition of love is. Jesus is a great example of what real love looks like. In our passage in Ephesians today, it talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We see him and we're amazed by him. We see his example and we are infatuated with him. We are totally trusting him and honoring him with our choices on the back of it. Philippians 2 is a great example of this selfless love that Jesus gives. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay? I'm going to read that, second, that part again. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He is our example. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In some uh, translations it says not Uh, who didn't consider equality with God something to be snatched at. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus was equal with God. Jesus was, uh, in very essence, God, and there was an equality there. And there were times when he could have said, why do I have to do this? Why don't you do it? How many times do you think that in your relationships, in your marriage? We're equal, aren't we? Why am I doing this? Why doesn't she do it? Well, why doesn't he do it? I thought we were supposed to be equal. And it feels like I'm doing this all the time. And uh, Jesus' example isn't that. He doesn't say, we're equal. Why don't you do this? He, in his equal, in his equality, doesn't consider it something to be snatched at. But rather, he wants to become a servant. That's a fantastic example for us. Jesus' love for us was the most selfless love that there is. He denied his very deity for us came to serve rather than to be served. Fully aware of what failures we are. He wasn't shocked when he kind of went to the cross and, and, and rose again. He didn't think, what on earth? What have I won here? These rabble. He knew that before. He was getting spat at and mocked and beaten. And while he was there, he was saying, Father, forgive them. He was loving us on the cross in so many ways. He wasn't surprised. I love this line in that song, Indescribable. You see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. Isn't that fantastic? He knows the depths of your sin, your secret thoughts, the failures that you've, uh, you've performed, you've, you've thought, and he loves you the same. Is that something you can say is evident in your marriage? I, I know the depth of my spouse's heart and I still love them. No, that's one of the things in Adam and Eve when it says they were naked and unashamed. It doesn't just mean physically naked. It means that they were vulnerable. They were naked in, in spirit and, in, uh, and emotionally naked and, and yet without shame. That's what we need to aim towards, that we're able to let our spouses be naked with us in that way, to let them be vulnerable and not judging them, but saying, I extend grace to you. I've been, a grace has come to me and I extend it to you. That's what John Piper says. He says we get the grace of God vertically and we need to bend it out horizontally. Jesus' love is service. He makes us holy. This is the last part of this point. Jesus didn't love us because we're lovely. He loves us to make us lovely. Our passage talks about Jesus coming to cleanse and wash his people. Are you aware of that gift that marriage is to you? 
that actually we're meant to encourage each other towards Jesus. We point each other towards trusting God in the word, trusting God together, cleansing, washing each other with the word. Do you get fed up with your spouse's uh, uh, the things that irritate you, the flaws? Maybe you think they're sinful flaws. Well, actually, if they have sin that's ongoing, you need to take some responsibility for that. That's partly your fault. Because actually we're called to wash each other in the word and in faith and say, hey, this is not a reflection of Jesus. Or perhaps the things you perceive to be flaws are more an indictment of your issue because they are getting in the way of your desires. And it's more of an irritation and less of a sin. It's more of you saying, actually, I don't like that. And uh, maybe God is putting a mirror in front of you. That's part of the thing of marriage. Is you immediately get into this, this mirror situation where you just think, uh, I can't get out of this. Uh, I'm just, uh, this, like I said with the toothpaste, um, it, it's coming out of you. and you, you don't like, it's, it's quite embarrassing. You let yourself down. I, think I, didn't, I didn't know that as much. And in my marriage, I see it all the time because we're in this intimate relationship. It's supposed to be a relationship where we point each other to Jesus and we grow together. Nicky Gumbel says this helpful quote, we often ask God to change our circumstances, not realizing that he has put us in those circumstances to change us. We often think, God, can you change this for me? Can you sort this out? Maybe you've even prayed, God, can you change my spouse in this way? And actually God might be saying, I knew they were going to be like that. That's why I put you two together. Because I want you to realize there's some issues in your heart that this action really uh, reveals. Because you get really irritated and uh, that reveals something more about you than it does about them. But Jesus isn't just our example in all of this. He's our saviour. He's our hope and our salvation. Fourth point is marriage is fulfilled through worshipping Jesus. Jesus is our true spouse. The one our worship can find its real home in. When we know God is our true God, we know Jesus is our true God. We can stop trying to find our worship's home in our spouse. We can stop trying to expect them to do things that only God is supposed to do for us. We can stop trying to make them be things that only God is meant to be for us. When we know God is enough for me, he loves me, his his affirmation is complete, his commitment to me is complete, then when our spouses let us down, we can say, I'm not trying to find that in you, actually. I'm trying to find it in Jesus, and so it's okay. It's okay that you are human. Because God is not. He is God and he is perfect. And he is the one I'm really resting my faith in. Uh, I read a great article this week where a girl was writing about her grandmother and just said that uh, her grandmother's husband, I guess that's her grandfather, um, had died 30 years ago or so. And uh, she had stayed firm in her faith. And she uh, was able to testify, my hope wasn't wasn't actually in my husband. My hope was in Jesus. So I've been able to stay strong afterwards. So maybe there's some people just in the room now that just know, actually, that's encouraging to me. I want my hope to be in Jesus, particularly in times of trouble in our marriages. A lot of our problems in relationship come down to one or both of us aiming our worship in the wrong direction. Mike Wilkerson, an American pastor, says this, you can't turn off worship. It's your basic human wiring. Not to worship is not to live. It's like a garden hose on full blast. You can aim it at the grass, at the car, or the shrubs, but you can't turn it off. So we're always worshipping. We've got to make sure we're worshipping the right thing. If we're worshipping our spouse or something that our spouse gets in the way of, we're going to be like this. If we're worshipping Jesus, 
is going to be so good for our marriage. It's going to be so good for our relationships. It'll be so good for ourselves. Okay, so that is a challenge for us. Worship Jesus. Believe the gospel. Let the gospel trickle down. Sing praises to Jesus. Sing, sing songs that repeat the gospel to you. Say, read the Bible that repeats the gospel to you. Say, preach to yourself. Say to myself, I'm not standing on anything but Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He is good enough. He is faithful. We are able, when we have that kind of security in Jesus, to repent in front of people. Say, I'm sorry I did that. Without thinking, actually, when I repent, I give away a bit of my power. That can be some of the reasons why we don't say sorry for things. We don't turn away from bad behavior because our pride wells up. No, I'm not going to. I'll dig my heels in. Actually, when we say, actually, I've already had to say sorry to Jesus for my whole life. And uh, he's been faithful to me. He gives me the forgiveness I need. I can repent to my spouse, to other friends. I can be vulnerable and open up about things that I know I've done wrong because actually Jesus has forgiven that. I can change day by day. I can not despair, especially when I hear criticism. I don't have to think, oh, that really crushes me. I can think, okay, well, there may be truth in that. I can take it to Jesus, say, is there truth in that? Or is that something that I can say, actually, I don't think that's true. And then giving criticism, it helps us as well. We don't give criticism that crushes when we are in relationship with Jesus because we're not so aggressively uh, defending ourselves to say, I'm not getting what I want from you. And then we criticize each other because we say, actually, I wasn't looking for it in you. or looking for it in Jesus. When you find him to be truly enough, you can be unselfish. Out of reverence for Jesus, we can be both strong, sure-footed and courageous, and yet at the same time, humble enough to submit to each other and prefer others over ourselves. Now, this isn't going to happen overnight. You, can, you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, this is all very good, Tim, but you know, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and everything's just going to be fine. Yeah, it takes time. Like I said, we need to sing these words. We need to dig in and, and, and proclaim them to ourselves. We need to make purposeful effort to say, I'm not going to put my hope in anything but Jesus Let's just pray to finish up. Father, we just thank you that we have such a hope in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your example to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you save us. Thank you, you've purchased us. Lord, I really pray for marriages here today that are in tough times. I pray for your hope. I pray for a recalibration of, of where they're putting their hope and putting their, their worship. I pray for grace to be extended in marriages. I pray for you to be worshipped with how we treat each other. Lord, I thank you for your kindness. I pray you'd help us to put things in action. Let's just, as we have our eyes closed, if there was anything in what I said today that just stuck out to you, I think maybe one phrase or a thought, you just, it just stuck out to you. And you think, actually, I need to probably respond to that. Would you just respond in your heart now with Jesus. Just say, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me to act on this. Father, just bless us. We need your help in life in general. And we thank you for the joy of what marriage is, what it can be. Thank you that you don't break off a bruised reed or snuff out a a smoldering wick. When things are tough, you can breathe life into them. You can bring light into darkness. Thank you that 
that marriage in your eyes is a beautiful, incredible thing that you've created. And that's what we can all work towards. I pray bless us in our relationships. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.